2, verse 23, because as I mentioned last week, chapter divisions are not inspired. They're the creation of later editors, and sometimes they made bad choices, and of course sometimes when you've got this massive, massive passage, there's no good place. But let me, so let me begin reading in chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or it can be translated from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, who understands the word to be again, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, water and the wind, I'll explain that in a few minutes. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again or from above. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the, Spirit, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Wow. I will try to be kind. We will not cover this entire passage. This is at least two sermons or three. But we will begin. And let me say that in the full narrative of John's gospel, I think I can accurately say this is pointing to mercy. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. Nicodemus, Jesus calls him the teacher, the rabbi of Israel, the go-to guy. If you've got a question about the Hebrew scriptures in Israel, was Nicodemus. And so when Jesus expresses something already found in the Hebrew scriptures and he says, what? Jesus says, you don't get what I'm saying? What? Jesus expresses surprise. Here is a man who has, and he comes to Jesus by night. He is a man of the Pharisees, a member of the ruling council, but he comes to Jesus by night, probably on a housetop in Jerusalem. By the way, Jerusalem, all the housetops were flat. They had meals out there. It was where they gathered for meals. Where the Last Supper would be on a housetop in Jerusalem. And they are seeing the array of stars above them. And Nicodemus comes by night, probably doesn't want his fellow Sanhedrin members and Pharisees knowing he's approaching this guy because what had happened in the previous passage, Jesus came in and cleansed the temple. You turned God's house into my father's house, my father's house, my father's house into a den of thieves. He's cleansed it. And they challenge Jesus. What sign do you do that says you have the authority to do this? I'll give you a sign. You destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. And John makes the comment. We were struck by the mystery of that until after his resurrection. <laughs> then we saw what he was pointing to. But it also says, just a couple of verses later, that he did many, many, many miracles. He did many signs. But to unbelieving people, people determined to walk in their sin, the evidence is never enough. And that was the topic last week. The, top, the sermon title was Evidence Slash Signs. If someone doesn't want to repent, even a resurrected Jesus, it won't be enough because they love their sin too much. Left to ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, we are all the same. It is only because God the Holy Spirit takes the initiative and sweeps us up in his arms. As James says in James chapter 1, it is of his own will that he brought us forth, brought us to birth. 
by the word of truth. God is the aggressive shepherd. He brings us home on his shoulders rejoicing because we're those knucklehead sheep that are out doing what we want in the wilderness. So was Nicodemus in the next chapter. Here's Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, the rabbi of Israel. What, what, what? And he's going to occur again. He is a recurring theme. And thank you, God, he does come halfway through the gospel. He will stand up in the Sanhedrin and try to make offense of Jesus and get shouted down. But he's also one of the two men receiving the body of Jesus from the cross. He and Joseph of Arimathea, the ten to the body of Jesus. He does come out publicly, but it takes him a while. By great contrast, John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman at the well. In everybody's opinion, Jewish, Samaritan, everybody's opinion, this was the most disqualified woman the Samaritans knew. That's why she was there in the middle of the day, so she wouldn't have to stare the, face the stares and tongues of the other women who typically came first thing in the morning to get water. And she runs into the she runs by contrast with the Pharisee, Nicodemus. And we see these episodes, people responding in different ways to the same truth. And so here we have this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And so we see how God's mercy reaching out to people of various in various places, but succeeding with the Pharisee, succeeding with the woman who's been married five times and is now living with a man who's not her husband. Succeeding. Succeeding. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man is the, a prominent man, very well known. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. John 12, verses 42 and 43. Even among the rulers, many believed in him, Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And so it is with Nicodemus, who's coming by night. Now he's going to come out publicly. But it's not his initial response to whom he, who, what he knows, what he knows. You have to be from God or you could not be doing these signs. I already have the proof. But it took him a long time to embrace the truth and allow it to embrace him back. You could not, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, the Greek word there, and every first century Roman resident, resident of the Roman world, and Greek was the language of the Mediterranean world, it's the word anothen. Anothen both means again or from above. And every reader of the original Greek text of the Gospel of John 
knows that instantly, so it doesn't have to be explained to them like it has to be to you and me. You must be born anothen. And Nicodemus takes it as again. Unless one is born again, anothen, again or from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, any first century reader, Mediterranean world reader, is going to say, oh, he took it in the sense of again, and Jesus will correct him. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, now my New King James says water and the spirit, but the word spirit, here we got the same problem, the word spirit, pneuma, means spirit, wind, or breath. And I'm going to translate this as breath. Unless, oh, excuse me, as wind, as water and the wind. Unless one is born of water and the wind, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, your first birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, in the Hebrew mentality and in the Hebrew scriptures, water coming from above in the form of rain, wind coming from above, and fire coming from above in the form of lightning are all used as representations of God the Holy Spirit. When they brought things that they had captured from pagans into the tavern, into the Jewish towns, they would baptize those things, they would cleanse them with water or with fire. If they could endure the fire, like pottery or silver or gold, things like that, they were given a, a, a fire baptism. If they were things that couldn't survive fire, like clothing, things like that, they were given a water cleansing. And that was very familiar. You read through the Hebrew Scriptures and what God mandated them to do and what they did there in the book of Leviticus and also what was practiced. In the, you can read this in the book of Joshua. When they plundered a town that they were sent to conquer, that's what they would do with the goods that they brought. And so there was the cleansing of fire. There was the cleansing of water. There is also the cleansing of the wind when they would harvest their grain. They had their threshing floors on hilltops. Why? They wanted as much wind as possible because they put the grain out on the threshing floor and then walked the oxen around on the grain to separate the, the wheat from the chaff or the barley from the chaff because and the ox were very good at that. And the, the wind would blow the chaff away, or they got winnowing fans, if there wasn't enough wind to, to do that, and then they would burn the chaff. And, and by the way, Jesus in the got Ma got Gospel of Matthew points to this for the Jews. Uh, God is doing his harvest. The grain will be brought into the barns, and the chaff will be burned. Which do you want to be? I'll take grain. Yes, I'll take grain. So water, wind, fire were all emblems of the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us 
into the kingdom. And Jesus is pointing to the, thankfully to the water and the wind. The wind blows where it wishes, verse 8, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know who's in charge of the process? God, the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> we were in charge of the process. You know, I've got to be that really dedicated witness. I've got to be that really dedicated evangelist. Well, yes, you should. But the one who governs the process and gives you the fruitfulness and actually allows you and enables you to witness and take part in the harvest is God the Holy Spirit. He's the harvester. We speak. I love it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I speak, and one inch beyond my lips is up to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. You share the gospel with someone, your responsibility is to tell them as clearly and as you can the undiluted truth. But then it's the Holy Spirit that gives people light and life. Whew. It's not my job to talk anybody into the kingdom. I can't. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And that's, by the way, Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night and then stands up in the Sanhedrin halfway through the gospel to try to defend Jesus, gets shouted down and accepts that being shouted down and then is one of the two men who comes out publicly to receive the body of Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit pursued him. He is an example of what Jesus is laying out here. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit, brought to birth by the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? What? I've never heard of such a thing. Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher, the rabbi of Israel, and do not know these things? This is not new information. This is not new information. The passage that we read, Isaiah 43 and 44, is an example of the statement of that statement. Let me give you a couple more. This is Isaiah 44, 3. This is from what we've already read, Isaiah 44, 3. I, the Lord, will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. What are we left to ourselves? We're dry ground. We're thirsty ground. I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. That is, I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And in the context there in Isaiah 44, these people have so disqualified themselves for God's blessing, they got nothing to cry out for except mercy. It's mercy or it doesn't happen. But we have a God who loves mercy. Loves mercy. Hosea 6, 6. Jesus quotes it in Matthew's gospel. 
who's sitting in, a, in the home of Matthew, banqueting with sinners and tax collectors. And the Jewish leaders are outside on the street. Ha, look at that. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Ha. And the disciples of Jesus bring him word. And he says, well, ask those wonderful scholars of the Hebrew Scriptures if they've ever read Hosea 6, 6. I love mercy. Thus says the Lord, I love mercy more than sacrifice. More than your rituals, I love mercy. I'm in favor of that. <laughs> I'm in favor of that. How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? What's the qualification of the ground to receive the outpouring of the rain, the blessing? It's thirsty. What's our qualification to receive God's mercy? We need it. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. Excuse me. Yes. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And we see people stepping into, being brought into God's kingdom, and we say, Him? Her? Me? How did I get here? How did I get here? The Samaritan woman of John chapter 4, <coughs> the, everybody in Sychar, her town, she was the most disqualified person to be welcomed by God, except that this is the God who loves mercy. We will we'll take that. How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher, the rabbi of Israel, and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we... Who is this we? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. He came to Jesus. <laughs> you have to be from God, to, otherwise you can do these miracles. But when Jesus says, okay, well, here's the rest of the message, he's like, what, what, what? That doesn't match my orientation as a Pharisee. Well, you better change your orientation. But it is a work of God that changes people's orientations. Folks, we can take great joy and strength out of this because it's on God. We're his instruments. When a carpenter comes in and builds you a beautiful home, you don't praise his hammer. You praise him. We're the hammers. He's the carpenter. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, I'm using this rain and this wind picture, earthly things, 
If I'm speaking to you in, or, of earthly things, I'm using those as my illustrations, and you do not believe, how will believe it, you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You are coming to the one whom you, Nicodemus, knows is from God. I've told you the truth using things that you can relate to, and you're saying, what, what, what? Okay, if, I, if you can't get the basic arithmetic, I'm not going to do the advanced math with you. Okay, we're not going to try that. I'm telling, I'm telling you in the most basic terms available. And what do the Hebrew Scriptures say? You're the rabbi of Israel, and you do not get these things? This is Ezekiel 36. 24 to 27, I will take you, Israel, from among the nations. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. He should know this passage. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. What does he say? I will sprinkle you with clean water. And what does that emblemize? A new heart, a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh as it ought to be. I will put my spirit within you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So here is water. First, in the first instance, wind. In the second instance, water. Being used in the Hebrew Scriptures as emblems of God stepping into the experience of a very, 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 very wicked Israel to restore them. But it is God's initiative. It's from above. It's from heaven. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is likewise in heaven. You know, Jesus was walking the earth, but he was also in the presence of his Father. He is God the Son, become flesh. And so he is also in the presence of the Father at the same time he is in our presence. And preview of coming attractions, verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent's serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Something else Nicodemus should make reference to. What is this about? Israel is in the wilderness. Israel, in fact, is about to enter the land. They've already gone through almost all of the extra 38 years in the wilderness while that older generation dies off that refused to go in and conquer the promised land. And they rebel. They start complaining. We are starving to death. We don't have water. They had water coming out of a rock following them. They had the manna. And yet they are complaining against God. We are dying of thirst and of starvation. And they had God's provision. 
And God was so angry with their rebellion, he sent serpents into the earth. And those serpents, those vipers were biting people and they were dying, being bitten, falling over dead, being bitten, falling over dead right now, right now, right now. And they came running to Moses, 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 we sinned, we sinned, we sinned, we sinned. Intervene with God so this will stop. Moses cries out to the Lord to stop the judgment. And he says, make an image in bronze of a serpent. The very thing that is afflicting them. Make an image of it and put it on a stake. Now, every one of these 12 tribes, they had a specific place that they were to be camped. Always. It was specified. And every one of them had a banner, had a banner hanging from a tall post that had a cross piece on it that the banner hung from. So he took the banner of one of those tribes off and put this bronze serpent, the very, a picture of the very thing afflicting them, and held it up. And what did the people need to do to be delivered from the serpent bite? Just turn your eyes and look at it. How much faith does that take? Just move your head and look. A picture of the very thing afflicting them. Look at it and you'll be delivered. That's the amount of faith I'm asking of you. Just look at it. No, there were some that wouldn't. And they died. But those that did were delivered from the venom. Oh my. You see that cross? That's just like the banner. The banner hanging from the cross piece. He took the banner off. So here is he's holding up a cross with a serpent. When Jesus went to the cross, the scripture says he became sin. The very personification of sin for us. And all of the judgment due to us was poured out on him. And all we have to do to receive the benefit of him taking our eternity in hell for us is have enough faith to turn our eyes and say, yes, I want that benefit. I'm transferring my trust from my own works to the work of him on that cross. And the serpent, the effect of the serpent's bite be gone. It'll be gone. It'll be gone. Nicodemus, you know that event. You know that account. Or God. Nicodemus, I've just given you an example. I've just given you something you know from the Hebrew Scriptures, you, Rabbi of Israel. Or God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved us. God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. That expression only begotten means the heir of all things. In the Greco-Roman world, if a man had only one son, the expression 
the legal expression for him is he is the only begotten son. He is going to get the entire inheritance. I, Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, am the, God the Father is looking for that time when I will be granted the day-to-day handed off by God the Father. I will be, he will hand off to me the day-to-day responsibility for running the universe. What happened upon the event of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? And it, he says in Matthew 28, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I've got the entire inheritance. Now, my daddy didn't have to die. He made that happen. He could turn over the inheritance without that. And he did. I fulfilled the task he gave to me. And I've come into my inheritance. God gave his only begotten son. And that elevates the preciousness of Jesus in the sight of his father to us. God didn't give us pocket change when he sent his son to become our savior. He emptied the bank. He sent his son. We have a beautiful, heart-wrenching illustration of this in Genesis 22. When God says to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, the heir of everything, your only son, Isaac, to the place that I will show you and sacrifice him to me. And we read that and we are horrified. What kind of a God would do that? And Abraham, without one word of argument, obeys. He tells two servants, gather the stuff on the donkeys. And the two servants, and Abraham and Isaac, they journey a couple days to the east, excuse me, to the west. And then they leave the servants and the donkeys and go up this mountain. And Isaac isn't a little boy. He's carrying the wood for the sacrifice on his back going up the mountain. He's a young man. And they get to the top of the mountain and they build the altar out of stone, lay the wood on the altar, and Isaac says, Father, you've got, well, on the way up the mountain, Father, you've got this torch to light the wood. I've got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? Deliberate double meaning. God will provide himself a sacrifice. And they get there, they built the altar, they laid the wood out, and Isaac submits to his father, binding him, and then picking him up and laying him on the wood. This is a guy who could have outrun his daddy out back, but he didn't. And Abraham is coming down with a flint knife towards the jugular when God stops him. And here is the ram over here, except God did not stop himself. He plunged the knife. For God so loved the world that he gave the heir of everything, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him transfers their trust from their own performance to his performance, should not perish but have everlasting life, relationship with the true and living God. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, That's the Pharisee's job. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
from him. He who believes in him is not condemned. The possibility of condemnation is completely removed. Won't ever happen. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The solution is trusting in him. His reputation. When it says his name, it's his reputation. It's his accomplishments. His great accomplishment for us was on the cross when he paid sin's penalty for us. I'm going to transfer my trust to that from anything else I could claim. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness. Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did was light. It was undiluted true representation of the Father. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness. Men loved darkness. Why do people reject the work of Jesus Christ done on their, on their behalf? Because they love the darkness. As Paul says in Romans chapter 1, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them, but they suppress it. Why? Because they love their immorality more than the truth. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. That's how it should actually be translated. Because their deeds were evil. I don't want to have to fess up to everything, the reality about me. Well, this is God of mercy. He forgives. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. He, Nicodemus, came to him by night. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. He would, but he hasn't fully come yet. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. He's not indifferent to it. You ever sat down with somebody and tried to share the gospel with them and they get really defensive, really arrogant, really angry? Why? Because they hate the truth, the reality about them coming to light. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light. And we will see Nicodemus in the course of time come to the light. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. John the Baptist was a man who walked in the light. He was a man who did the truth. And as soon as he saw, this is the one I have been sent to herald, I baptized him, and when he came up out of the water, now, of course, he already knew, because he says to Jesus, you need to be baptizing me, not you, me baptizing you. Just do it. This is heaven's agenda. Okay, I will. But Jesus comes up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. 
and rest upon him. And the voice comes from heaven, from God the Father, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what did John do? John backed up. He handed the ministry over to Jesus. He said, okay, I'm the herald. You're the one I was heralding. He kept preaching, but what's he preaching? Go to Jesus, go to Jesus. Even his own disciples who remained with him said, this fellow's, his disciples are baptizing more people than you and we are. I'm fine with that, says John the Baptist. I'm fine. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. So here was a man who was walking in the light, and when more light showed up, he embraced it and was embraced back by it. We have seen in this passage the ways of God. He is the one who takes the initiative. He pours water. We are born from above. It is heaven's initiative. Again, the passage I already quoted from James 1. James, the half-brother of Jesus who didn't come to faith in Christ, didn't come to light till after Jesus' resurrection. It is of his, God's own will, that he brought us forth, brought us to birth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures that he could revel in us, that he could revel in us. What do you do with that first tomato you harvest out of your garden? And you take it in the house, and ladies, you slice it really fine, and then you invite everybody to come and taste of that first fruit. That's God with us. We're the first fruits that he's allowing. Folks, he took us from a just condemnation to the lake of fire forever and ever to a a glad embrace by him. We have a place at the head table so we can party with him. That's the reality that is laid out before us here. And all God's people said, Amen. I would invite you to stand.